0: And we're going to talk this week about a couple in the New Testament named Priscilla and Aquila. And as the pre-message video said, they were friends of Paul and they were early church leaders. And so I wanted to just take a few minutes and introduce them to you through some passages of Scripture. And then we're going to do some fun things to, to take out what we should learn from them. So if you have a Bible... I want you to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be there on the screen, side screens. In, in chapter 18, uh, the first three verses say this. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was so here we get introduced to this couple that were uh, showed up in Corinth around the same time Paul did now they try to date when this exactly was because we're told that they went there because they were deported from Rome and As historians can best uh, guess or best work out, this happened sometime in the mid to late 40s AD when Claudius, the Roman emperor, decides that he's had enough of the Jews in Rome and and he basically tells them to get out, just go, leave. And so they're deported and they're a husband and wife and they're tent makers or they're leather workers depending on the interpretation. They're independent businessmen, business people. They set up shop in towns and they ply their trade. And so they meet this man named Paul in the synagogue because Paul's a Jew as well. Paul has this same MO whenever he goes into a town. Because he's Jewish, he goes to the local synagogue and then he begins to tell them about the Messiah, this Messiah named Jesus who has come. And it usually doesn't go very well for Paul in the synagogue. He usually ends up getting kicked out of the synagogue. But something that Paul says to this couple resonates with them. And they begin to follow him and they begin to listen to his teaching. And somewhere along the way, we're not sure exactly when, they become followers of Jesus. They sign on to the Jesus movement. So I want to switch around to a different book of the Bible. We're just forming a little bit of a portrait of them because this is one of the, the... the people in the New Testament, that we don't get a long, drawn-out story of who they are. We have to piece together their story from different passages in the New Testament. So Paul writes a letter to a church in Corinth uh, after he's left there. And if you turn over to chapter 16, it's the very last piece of the letter. Paul writes this to this church, that the church is here in the province of Asia, Send greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. So what's happened here is that Paul never stays in one place for very long. He does his preaching, he does the work that God has assigned him to do, and then he goes on to the next town, to the next place, because the work that God has assigned him to do is to basically start stuff to get new churches, to get this Jesus movement spread as wide as he can throughout basically the Mediterranean. So he goes to this place called Ephesus from Corinth and Priscilla and Aquila go with him because they're tent makers, because they're independent business people. They can go to a town and just set up shop and start over and keep plying their trade. So incidentally, one of the things we know about Priscilla and Aquila and Paul for that matter is that they were probably pretty good at what they did. You know, because you're not gonna succeed in business if you just keep going to a place and you're terrible at making tents. You're not gonna be able to support them, each other. So Priscilla and Aquila are business people. They go with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus, and then Paul says that they have uh, hosted a church. And we've said before that a church in the New Testament is probably a group of about 15 to 20 people. You know, we think of a church as maybe something like this, but a church in the New Testament is probably around 10 to 15 people, the size maybe of of your growth group. That would be considered a church. But we're told that it meets in their home. And so Priscilla and Aquila are doing well enough for themselves as they go around to have some kind of rental home that can host a church like this. And Paul, names it, and Paul names them both. And this becomes a little bit significant for where we're going today. He says, their home. It's not just Aquila's home. It's not just the man's home. It's Aquila and Priscilla, their home. And they've opened up their space for people to come and worship there. So uh, we're going to jump back to the book of Acts now. And there's an interesting uh, story that's related By Luke, the writer of Acts, in the same chapter of of chapter 18. At the very end of the chapter, uh, he's relating a story of something that happens in Ephesus, because Paul, I think, uh, has left Ephesus at this point. And then we're told in verse 24 that a Jew named Apollos, who was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark talked about John the Baptist and this was one of the guys who uh, he had gotten John the Baptist's baptism but he didn't know all of the information about Jesus. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So what we're beginning to see here is a portrait of a husband and wife that are doing ministry together, that are, that are doing things like hosting growth groups or hosting a church together in their space. And then we we're told that they actually have to instruct this guy named Apollos, and Apollos appears throughout the New Testament as as somebody just like what the the book of Acts described. He's a great speaker. He's very charismatic. He attracts people naturally, but at this point, he doesn't have all the information. So this husband and wife, Priscilla and Aquila, show up and they take take him aside because Paul's taught them, and they say, look, there's some things that you have to know about what God's doing in the world. And it's not just about John and his baptism, but it's about this man named Jesus and what he's done through his life and his death and his resurrection. The Messiah has come. So this husband and wife are doing this amazing ministry together. And then lastly, they're mentioned uh, pretty, pretty poignantly in the book of Romans. In, uh, again, another chapter 16 he, Paul writes uh, in verse 3, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, in fact, they once risked their lives for me, and I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. And, and then he references again to give his greetings to the church that meets in what? Their home, Again. So Paul is still writing to this and referencing this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And in the book of Romans, he mentions them with this particular Greek word. When he says co-workers, he actually uses the Greek word synergos. Let me hear you say synergos. Synergos is simply just means, you know, it's it's where we get the word synergy. It's the idea of uh, doing something alongside each other. And I think it's significant that Paul doesn't say, hey, they were the people who worked for me. They were my lackeys. They were the people I instructed. He elevates them. And he does this repeatedly through the New Testament. But he says, they do this with me. And it's a beautiful picture, I think, of how Paul viewed the people that he did ministry with. But it's also a beautiful picture I think of how Priscilla and Aquila did ministry as co-workers, as synagogues. And that got me to thinking this week about community and about close relationships and about following disciples uh, alongside of people that we know. Now, I remember in the early 1990s, I was just graduating college and I was in my first rather serious band. And we used to rehearse in our singer's parents' house. And we would, uh, we would show up and we would, we would set all, the, all of our gear up. But then before we could start rehearsing, we had to take a break. You know, We would drive from wherever we lived and, and we would get all the stuff set up. But before it was rehearsal time, something else always happened on Thursday nights in the early 90s that made us press pause. And before we could play, we needed to sit down and we needed to watch Seinfeld. It was this new show that had come out, you know, and it was just entering the Thursday night lineup. And so we would get all the stuff set up. And it just so happened that right as we would get the stuff set up, it was time to take a break. And we would always sit around and watch Seinfeld. And Seinfeld, if you guys know, it's what? It's the show about nothing. nothing. And then later on, another show got added to that. Uh, with, and we all became friends with, uh, we're friends with Ross, Rachel, and Joey, and Wright, and And Chandler, right. So Friends and Seinfeld formed the backbone, right, of NBC comedy on Thursday nights. And because Seinfeld was a show about nothing, it really stuck out to me. But also Friends, it was these, they were these stories about these people who worked in New York, right, and lived in New York. And Seinfeld just put it on the table, like it's not about anything. It's really just about watching these people navigate relationships in New York. And I always sat, I, as, I, as I came uh, away from that time, because eventually I started, when I started working at a church, I haven't seen Thursday night television, because I'm always here rehearsing. I haven't seen Thursday night television in like 15 years. But before that, I used to watch these shows. Over time, I got these questions. One of the questions was like, particularly with friends, how, how the heck can they afford to live in the phenomenal apartments that they live in in New York? Because Rachel has like no job, right? And they have these amazing apartments. I'm like, that, there's no way that could happen. I lived in Chicago for a while. That ain't happening unless you're making like nice coin. So, how did they survive? But beyond that, this troubling uh, notion of how they depicted community and how they depicted relationships. Because Basically, except for these little mini-dramas that could be, always be resolved within 20, 25 minutes, nothing ever happened. And what one uh, author I read said about this is that eventually, uh, he began to call them portrayals of what he called time pornography. And, and just bear with me for a moment. Because what it began to show is that the illusion that we can all just sit around, And we all have nothing to do but have great times with friends forever and that nobody ever has to work or do anything or nothing bad ever happens in your life. Friends and shows like Seinfeld set up this illusion that if you just hang out perpetually in New York City, you're going to have these amazing, amazing relationships. And I think that's a lie. I don't think relationships happen that way. And some of the stuff that Paul's writing about and some of the stuff that Priscilla and Aquila are showing me get at this. I was reading a theologian a few years back, and he talks about how uh, we talk about community, but he massaged the word community and introduced this word called communitas. And what he wanted to get at is that we think that we develop community by sitting in a room together and staring at each other and going, how do you feel? I feel tired. How do you feel? I feel bored. <laughs> and what this guy was saying is that community is actually developed and fostered and watered by doing things together, by encountering trials By having a purpose, by saying, if you're in a group with somebody, the purpose of our group is to do this, it's to serve at Serve Tallahassee, it is to know God better, it is to extend love and hospitality to a hurting world, whatever it is, community and close relationships don't just happen by hanging out together despite what Seinfeld and friends would want us to believe. I think Paul encountered this with Priscilla and Aquila because Paul's on a mission. Make no mistake about it. The Messiah has come and Paul has signed on, bought the whole ticket. And since the Messiah has come, people have got to know. So we've got a job to do. So Priscilla and Aquila, follow me. And over the years that they spend together, this relationship begins to grow and thrive. And it's not just them. Paul has other friends. But the first thing I want to tell you is that if you think close relationship happens by just hanging out together, I think you're wrong. Relationship kind of reaches that tipping point when you say, we're on a mission together. That same theologian said, uh, essentially this way, when you just aim for ministry or when you aim for relationships, you may not get community. But if you aim for mission, you will always get community and ministry because it can't help but follow because you have a job to do and it's hard work to get something done. And I think this is what Paul Shows us when he uses the word synergos that these people are my co workers and he speaks about them so warmly. But let's not just think that life is all rosy when you serve alongside the people you're closest to or when community gets really, really deep and really, really intimate, right? You don't just sit around singing kumbaya all the time or your problems aren't always solved in a 25-minute sitcom. Life is messy. Community is messy. Am I right? Let the church say amen. It's not easy. And it's not easy probably for Priscilla and Aquila to be married and following Paul around the Mediterranean, I'm assuming that if they're married, they got the same married problems that all the married people in this room have. So what I want to examine this morning in the time that we have left is how do you navigate discipleship in community with people who are close to you? Not just husband and wife, but if it's true, that deep relationships happen when you're on mission, then some of us are encountering deep relationships, whether we are married, or whether we're doing uh, life with our brothers and sisters, or whether we're doing life with a close group of friends. So, how is this fostered? Now, um, I thought it was kind of silly if I just sat up and talked to, talked to you guys about it. So what I came up with is, uh, I just kind of asked some, some folks that I have seen serving together and living close lives together to come up and speak to me and speak to us all about it. So I want to uh, invite the panel of people up to, you guys welcome them up to the stage, and we're just going to have a dialogue a little bit about this um, in the time we have. Mm-hmm. So why don't... Oh, everyone's coming and getting navigated. Why don't we just start with uh, Michael and Robin? Why don't we just start off by saying... Give your names and maybe the area of ministry that you serve together with.
1: Okay, my name's Robin Bateman, and we serve at the um, E3 Red Eye here at the church, and we also have a growth group.
2: That's it. Yeah, I'm Michael Bateman, um, married to Robin, and I do the same thing with her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm Terry Palmer. This is my son, and we started serving at E3 Kids together, and then we've served at Coffee bar together, and now we're serving at Pathways together.
3: Yeah,
4: <laughs> I have my own. Um, Kyle Steele. Um, me and Kelby served together in the greet and hospitality team, as well as the music team.
5: Like he said, my name is Kelby. Also, but also my brother Evan, who used to lead worship here, so I got to serve along with him as well.
0: We have a pi- we have a picture of Evan, right? Yay. Look, hey, hey, Evan.
6: Hey, Evan. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm Michael Hanna. This, uh, I guess you get to say your own thing, too. So. Uh, we serve uh, Global Outreach here at, uh, at E3, and also uh, we lead a growth group in uh, Thomasville.
5: Hey, I'm Martha, and I, I help with Global Outreach in E3 with Michael.
0: Why don't we just, uh, why don't we just, it's so weird to have them behind me. I hope they're not making faces or anything. Um, But why don't we start with you guys, and why don't you guys just speak to, like, if we could just speak to how you ended up serving together. How'd you guys end up in the same ministry together?
6: Yeah, we were, I was, uh, started going to Colombia and Nicaragua doing some things with some uh, refugees uh, down there, and we were doing it separately, and it was very difficult to leave and come back and not have a shared experience and try to relate that, and it was really, really difficult. We had... It took about a month to get back on an even keel, because our experience was so different, and she had <laughs> stay home with two little kids. Uh, and then we started serving here at E3, going to Guatemala, uh, which the first time we did that, all of a sudden we realized this synchronicity of working with each other that was very, very powerful, mm-hmm. and that we were much better together than apart. Awesome.
0: What about you guys? I'm Kelvin? um so how did did you decide how did you end up serving together
5: um me and my brother actually Evan was the one who basically taught me how to play guitar so that was pretty cool that when we started going to E3 we got to play together um here and having him as the leader I felt like I learned a lot from him so um I think he had a big part in helping me learn to worship God how about you and
0: Kyle how did you guys serve end up serving together
4: um, Kelby was here serving for a while, and I was kind of just here with her because we started dating early, and then we started getting married and all that fun stuff. You started getting so, get married? Um, <laughs> since I was already here, I don't have, like, the personality where I can just sit and do nothing, so I was just like, um, what can I do? So I ended up helping her with the greet team since she was already doing that, or, like, at the time we both did lights together a long time ago. And I've been around, like, she had to get, for, get here early every week for playing music, and I was already here as well, because we rode together, so why don't I play as well? And it's kind of gone, We just serving together yeah. now, because we're both here. And
0: <laughs> well, Hayden, tell us, tell us how you ended up serving in a ministry with your mom.
3: She told me I had to. <laughs> um, <laughs> She, you know, she. we started working together. The first thing we ever did was the coffee bar back at the old building. Um, And I was just, you know, energetic little kid. I would have been, what, like 12, 13? 13 at the time. Um, And I was just so full of energy. And she's like, hey, I'm going to use this energy. And give you caffeine. There you go. (laughs) And so she would do the coffee bar, and I would do the little coffee machine. And we just sort of traveled to each area together from coffee bar to E3 kids to hospitality team.
1: Well, and I will say I made my older son serve as well when he was younger, and he's gone on to serve in other areas. So initially it wasn't a choice, but (laughs) (laughs) you you had to start serving, and then you could choose where you wanted to serve. But service is important, and I think families that serve together are – stronger families, and as you grow up, they continue to go on and mm. serve in areas that they want to serve in. But initially, you have to serve if you're in the Palmer family.
0: Awesome. <laughs> well, Michael, why don't you tell us same question? Like- sure. Uh, well,
2: I was uh, dating Robin, and uh, Robin was a mountain bike rider, so I became a mountain bike rider. <laughs> um, Robin was serving at E3, so I was serving at E3. <laughs> That's kind of how it happened.
0: <laughs> awesome. So I, we, were, we were talking earlier, and so basically, when we went through this question earlier, I was like, So basically what we're telling people is like uh, we have one guy whose mom told him to start serving at E3 (laughs) and then another guy who was trying to date a woman and got involved. So (laughs) these are great, great motivations for serving at E3. Um, What do you guys, what do you love about serving together? Let's start with you guys.
2: Well, you know, we were talking before and I think, Serving together really gives you an opportunity to grow together mm. and really to bond in a way that that you don't normally and we were talking about um, you you can work together for a for a goal in a secular sort of setting but it's it's really different when you 're serving God and you have that mission in mind and I think you grow together spiritually as a couple mm.
0: that way that's awesome. How about you guys
1: I think too it's um it's fun mm. it's a lot of fun it 's more fun and we're funny we're funnier together um yeah and and I think you lift each other up when i'm dragging, he lifts me up when he's dragging, I force him to change his attitude <laughs>
0: why don't we <laughs> what did Kyle what do you guys what do you guys love about serving together? um, I love
4: how much we've grown together because like whenever we're serving together there's days where i mean this is like as real as it gets there's days where i'm like I don't really want to greet today. I'm just not in the mood. I know I do this like once a month. No offense. I I enjoy it. But there's days where I'm just tired and Kelby's like, you know, it's not really about you. (laughs) And it's kind of like one of those things where like we build each other up and like, I mean, sometimes it's like the funny ways like that. But other times like we're reminding each other why we're serving. We're growing by like helping each other remember that this is for a bigger purpose than just how we feel on a day and what we want to do at the time. Because there's days where I absolutely love doing things or there's days where I come in and I'm like, I don't really want to. And mm. that's just one example of many. Mm. That's awesome.
5: Did I was just going to say the safe, safety of being with the person you love and you know, really, you know you're really comfortable with them, so it helps you to be really who you are.
0: Yeah, that's good. What about you guys? What do you love? What do you love about serving together? Well,
5: because I'm a nurse and he's a physical therapist, we don't get to see each other every day at work. I don't get to see him be the amazing therapist that he is. So when we're together serving, I get to watch him mm. and I get to see how awesome he is at what he does. So I, and I think it gives us again a like-minded purpose and it brings us together we're, we never play harder, but we never work harder than when we're away on a trip together.
0: Anything to add to that?
6: Uh, <laughs> I wish I could live over what she said. Um, no, it's it's that uh, it's that um, being able to see each other in that environment and just really appreciate that. Uh, the the we always say that, uh, that that she's the go and I'm the woe, and this this kind of uh, this this. This energy that goes between us that just with the God puts there, and we just uh, are never, like I said, just, just really appreciative of who each other are and the gifts that God's given and how that, uh, how that plays out.
0: And you said that, wait, who's the go? Uh, she's the go. You're the go. So, so that, that leads me to uh, a great question, which is like, what about the challenging parts? What, what about navigating the go and the woe? Is there any. Uh, what about when times get tough? That, that, never, that never happens. Oh,
6: okay. No, that's, <laughs> well, you, if you ever travel with us, you know that never happens. And, <laughs> no, it's it's really interesting living out when those times are tough. You're you're a couple, mm-hmm. especially if you have teams. So you you've got this responsibility of teams. You've got the responsibility of really paying attention to what God is trying to do on this trip, and our own individual uh, relationship still exists in mm-hmm. this. And there is. There's going to be times where she's going to be leaving in the morning and not come back to the afternoon, and I'll be gone, and we'll have to kind of connect again. And it's this, uh, this real tension between, okay, do you get leftover time that I have, or do, mm. are, we, are we really going to intentionally invest in each other and say, okay, where do we steer off the course? How do we correct this? We have 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, How are we going to figure this out? And, and there are times it's very difficult, and, but you really have to uh, – purposefully set aside time and really uh, for each other and be uh, intentional about that.
0: That's awesome. what, about, what about you guys? Like, speak to when things are, get challenging serving with people who you're close to.
5: Um, as far as me and Kyle, we haven't really had too many challenges, or at least I haven't felt like we've had challenges. <laughs> so I'll let him talk about that. but. Um, <laughs> with serving with my brother since that happened quite a bit and just growing up together we had a really cl- like close relationship um and we're both pretty defensive people um we found that you know playing music together was we would butt heads quite a bit and you know Eric got to see that quite a bit and I'm sure many of the other people on the worship team have seen that but um i mean as him being the leader most of the time i would i found myself kind of backing down and just kind of sitting and waiting to like you know, just listen to God what He had to say to me and mm. for what Evan's feedback had to be, and just kind of mm. go with it instead of you know being hard headed and listening yeah. to myself <laughs>
0: Good. it's not easy I, I and i did get to I did get to watch this dynamic play out, and I have an older sibling who also plays music, so it was interesting for me to watch this, but they did uh they did such a, a great job of kind of being brother and sister and allowing some of those conflicts to happen, but it never jeopardized the mission of what you know, we were trying to do. So, What about you, Kyle?
4: Um, I would say one of the challenges uh, is our personality differences. Because mm. she's more of an organized person and I am not. And like whenever she does things, she has like this routine way. She wants to do it and do that. And I don't have that. I just have, um, let's just do it and just get it done with. And uh, that doesn't really work well often uh, together but and then another thing that we learned about each other with serving together is we don't practice music together why not uh we she's just she's been playing for a lot longer and i would say she's probably a better musician so she just goes in and just goes over the songs all right i'm done and i'm just like well i've got to spend another three hours (laughs) (laughs) and so it's just and if we try to practice at the same time it's just like uh you're that should be a, a g um and i'm just like no just but it's just a frustrating thing but that's why we practice separately and then serve together
3: (laughs) interesting what about you guys um probably the hardest thing i would say is sometimes you know family issues go you know they travel with you into the service what yeah oh my god (laughs) because you know we we love each other that never changes but we get at each other's throats sometimes, and I'm not gonna lie, that's family dynamic, that's how we work. Um, and I remember this one time we were serving at E3 Kids. And I wanna, wanna emphasize, your children are safe with us. Your, we, your children are not in danger, but we're human. We're all human, we have issues, and just E3 Kids senses when you're having you know sort of like a rough day and rough family time. And then it just emphasizes that just a little bit more with the kids. Um, this was the time before the fabulous Miss Wilkes took the program over um, between Dan Dernberger when my mom had, uh, you know, had to deal with everything and just it got tense, tense with the kids and we had to remember, like, we're here to serve with the kids, not to bicker and fight a little bit. Mm. So got a little rough at times, but...
1: No, seriously, no children
0: were harmed. <laughs> You know, it gets to a point where you deny so much that it just makes people's suspicions go (laughs) higher. But anyway. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: So there are times when, you know, just like they're talking about, maybe you're working together as a group or as a couple and one person falls down or or just isn't, like maybe they're sick. Mm. So you're... Or yeah, or just not up for it, but you're there or at least I feel like I'm there and, and Michael's there to to pick up the pieces and to just go on and do what you can to to um, overcome whatever yeah. the other person can't do at
0: the time. Yeah, you just preserve so, preserve the mission. Yeah, you're you know? working
1: together.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well everyone thank them for for for, for contributing. Well, so you know what what I want to emphasize is that this is not all. Obviously, all of the people who serve together all it's not all of the married folks that serve together. It's not all of the siblings or the or the parents and child children that serve together. It happens all over e three. This was just a small snapshot of what is going on. And um, they said some things that were poignant to me and that as I was thinking about how maybe Priscilla and Aquila did this and how anybody who serves or follows Jesus with someone that they're very close to, how do you get through this? Now, I think that because Priscilla and Aquila were charged by Paul to correct Apollos, right? We said in Acts chapter 18, he's like, hey, straighten this guy out. They must have known a thing or two about what Paul was talking about. They must have heard Paul talk a lot when he went into the synagogues, when he, hang, when he hang out, hung out in house churches. They must have heard him speak to a variety of issues, and I think they probably heard him speak to an issue like this. Paul uh, wrote in a letter to the church of Ephesus when he was talking about how to live out a Jesus life With those who are closest to you, he wrote this one little explosive sentence in chapter five when he said, Further, submit. Well, let's read it together. What's it say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to list what this looks like in, in, in the book of Ephesians, you know, husbands submit to your wives, children submit, basically this whole 360-degree level of submission. And you heard glimpses of that spoken about right there. When you hear people say, like, well, they have their gifts, and I need to recognize how awesome they are at their gifts. Or sometimes saying, I want to. I'm paraphrasing. I wanted to stay in bed. I wanted to do something else. But somebody else reminded me that we have a commitment or that this is important to me. And in those moments, we can choose, you know what? I am not going to, it's a weird word, but I'm not gonna submit. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to stay at home. I'm not gonna serve. But when the person that we're doing this alongside of recognizes it as important. I think we're called by Jesus as his followers to submit and to recognize this is an important thing to you or to the church. This fosters our relationship. It actually makes it better even though in this moment I might be resentful that I don't get my way. This makes our relationship better. Better, whether you're my mother or whether I'm your son or whether I'm your spouse or whether I'm your brother or your sister, submitting makes it better. And there's a mission to accomplish. And I want to take it one step further because this doesn't come just willy nilly out of Paul's mind. And this is the thing that if I think if we can wrap our minds around this next idea, It's a game changer for us and for our church and for the world. Because Paul doesn't think that mutual submission is just a good idea. It's not just a progressive idea. It's not just a way to make the church better. It comes out of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. In a letter to the church at Philippi, which was a Roman colony, Paul writes these words. And uh, we're actually, this is the, the book that we're going through for the inductive Bible study class. So no, no cheating and taking notes if I give away anything here. But in chapter two, he, wrote, he writes this poem or this hymn about Jesus. And he says to the church, which I, mean, which I think he means to say to us too. You must have the same attitude, the same mind that Christ Jesus had. And then he describes the attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, I think most of us, if you've hung around church circles at all, you understand maybe that there's this idea that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and to open up the way to heaven. Uh, what this and other scriptures point to, and I want to say it very, as clearly as I can, the cross is not just a theological trick to get us into heaven. For Paul, for Peter, for the other disciples, the cross is the way we live our lives. And Jesus had every right. He was God. He had every right to not have to essentially submit. But it says he gave up his privileges. So when you're serving alongside each other, whether it's a spouse or a brother or a sister, and community gets ugly and messy, and you want to stay in bed, or you don't want to do the thing that the other person wants to do, or you don't want to do the thing that the mission requires... When you look to the cross, you don't just see something for when you're dead, you see a symbol for the way you're supposed to live. The cross is not just for dying, it is for living. And when you see that cross, you should say, That man, that Savior, that Messiah, he gave up his rights and humbled himself. And so, when community gets hard, as it will when you're on mission, you look at the cross, and you say, it's not about me. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, who submitted first for all of our sake. So, in a sense, What Priscilla and Aquila show us is pretty simple. The disciple of Jesus follows alongside a family, whether it's a church family or whether it's a a nuclear family or whatever. But the truth behind this and what makes it reality is explosive and will change your life and change the world forever. Let's stand for closing. (music) We'll <music>